Well, good morning, Vintage Church. How y'all doing? Man, isn't that an exciting thing? Right now, as a matter of fact, right this in four minutes, they're starting their very first service of many there in Liberty Hill. And can I just tell you, none of that would have been possible without you at this location footing the bill. So give it up for you. Come on. Thank you for that. Don't worry. When we get them built up, they're going to be paying for some stuff too, okay? It's going to be great. And we all know that's what spiritual family really is all about. It's about being there uh, for those that are growing and they, they end up growing up and then they turn and do for others what was done for them. And I'm just going to say over the last couple years as we've launched out into these locations, we've really found a greater depth of purpose as a church family. How many of you know God doesn't just want to get things to you, he wants to get them through you? That's really what it's all about. And so none of that would be possible without you. Uh, so thank you so much for your generosity. We're going to be rooting them on. I can't wait to hear about the hundreds of lives that have been impacted today after church and as we continue to build. These are actually some of the pictures from this morning. From this morning, they're gathering to pray uh, for services. The facility there is incredible. The team's awesome. What I want to do before we jump in is I want to just, will you just join me, just symbolically put your hands out. We're going to pray for that team in that new church. Can we do that? God, I thank you so much, Lord. For every single person that walks through the doors of Liberty Hill, not just today, but for years to come, I thank you, Father, that you're going to bring life preservative. Father, you're going to bring uh, an incredible and incredible work to that city as it continues to grow so that we can serve people uh, in your name, God. We pray, Father, from the front door all the way through service. We thank you, God, that your spirit's there, that you're going to guide them. We pray right now for those that don't know Jesus in service today, Father, that they will surrender their life to Christ, that they'll step in and up into your purpose for them there in Liberty Hill. We love you. We're honored to be a part of building your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, we're going to jump in. You can clap. You can clap one more time. It's pretty great. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. I've been gone the last couple weeks just working with the Liberty Hill team and getting it really set up uh, to launch well. Uh, my wife and I actually started uh, this location uh, over eight years ago now, and it's been an incredible honor pastoring. I'm always excited to be back at the OG. Y'all know what I'm talking about? C.O.G., this is my favorite church. I miss you no matter where I am. I'm always wanting to be here. You know, several weeks ago, we started a series where we, together, were really um, looking scripturally at what the church is, the spiritual family of God. The last several weeks, if you missed any of them, I want to encourage you to go back. We've specifically talked about how when you give your life to Christ, it's not just fire insurance. <laughs> you know, you're not just going to heaven, but God actually places you in a family. The Bible says in John 3, 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader named Nick, short for Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking, like, what do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you got to be born again. Nick's like, what? Like, gross. <laughs> what do you mean? I've already been born, right? Jesus says, oh, not naturally, but spiritually, supernaturally. When you gave your life to Christ, you also became a part of a family. And it's in that family that God grows your entire life. Look out into our world. We've been saying this every week. It's dark. And you know what? As believers, we're not called to curse the darkness. We're called to be light. How is that possible? Through what Jesus promised to build. Our key passage here, Matthew 16 through 18. Jesus is standing in the darkest place, known place on earth, right? Known or thought to be the gates of hell. It was this giant pit, right? Where all kinds of evil things happened. And it's where he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. 
and all the powers of hell or wokeness, <laughs> all the powers of media and government, all the powers of corporations, and will never conquer it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. You know, as believers, it's tempting when we look out at a dark world to forget that we're actually the answer to it. To forget that it's not just us, but it's Christ in us shining together. We've said this this entire series, but you and I, we shine brightest when we shine together. It's just how it is. The Bible says we're a city on a hill, where city's not just one person. It's also not even just one family in one location. It's a group of families that make up a community, right, that shines their light in a dark world. That's really what the purpose is. The local church is God's plan A, and he doesn't need a plan B. Do you know why? Because he's God, Maybe your plan A never works out. I don't know about you, but my A, B, and C sometimes never work out. God doesn't have that problem. His plan A always works out. And if you and I will lean in and embrace what he wants to do in and through us as a local church, I believe our greatest days are ahead of us, not behind us. And so today we're going to pivot. The last several weeks we've been talking about what it looks like for you personally to become a part of the family, a member, a part, all the metaphors used to describe the local church, specifically you individually in it. Starting today and moving into really part two of this series, we're going to move and we're going to start talking about what are the characteristics that make up a healthy church. I don't know about you, but I have been in a lot of churches, some healthier than others. Anybody? Like some a little more what I would say life-giving than others. Now, we all got problems. I love people that come into the guest week, man. They're like, Pastor, this is amazing. I love this church. This is the greatest place ever. Everyone's so nice. Not like my other church, man. It really sucked. Those people were rude, you know? And I love looking at them and going, oh, just give it some time. Those people are here too. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So it's not about perfection that we're talking about, but there are some characteristics that we can look for right, that kind of show health. As we're all growing into and growing up, right, maturing in our faith, there are some characteristics that do accompany a healthy church. In other words, really a safe place to grow. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about that for the next several weeks. Today, I want to I kind of lay the foundation for where we're going to go in the next few weeks, and I want to talk about a church that sees. One of the characteristics of a church that makes a big impact right, in their community is that they have an ability to see what other people and other churches refuse to look at. You know, many of you may have, if you've grown up in church, you probably have heard uh, this phrase, the Great Commission. Have you ever heard that phrase? There's this Great Commission that's talked about in Matthew, okay, and Jesus gives this kind of, kind of mission statement to the church, but you know, when you study the Gospels, There actually isn't one great commission. There's actually three. Do you know that? There's three. And in three different times after Jesus resurrects from the dead, right, he meets with his disciples in three different gospels at three different places in order. And in each one of these places, he actually gives you and I our purpose. If we're going to be a church that sees, we have to go back to what the Bible says our purpose is. And I think a lot of times people make the church something that it's not. Did you know that our purpose is not social justice? However, justice is a big deal to God. That is not our primary purpose. Our purpose is not just feeding people fish and loving and cuddling people. You know what I'm saying? That little Jesus, you know. Everyone loves the Jesus that's like holding the lamb. They don't like the one that flips the rod and beats the wolf. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Or maybe the one that like, you know, says, hey, hey. We got, we got this sheep over here, more like a goat, okay? You're not gonna do that, okay? We're gonna, does that make sense? 
I think a lot of times we can, especially with the world, and this, I see this all the time on social media. It's like every time a Christian has anything to say about anything, people who aren't even saved and don't even love God want to tell us what we should be. Did you know that you'll know, you won't get answers there? You'll just get a bunch of shame and guilt there. It doesn't go anywhere. We need to go back to what the Bible says our primary purpose is. Because if we can hang on to that, then the, the church that Jesus promised to build will always be our church. Does that make sense? Because we're in alignment with him. So I want to talk to you about the purpose of the church as seen, right, as seen through these uh, three different encounters with Jesus, the post-resurrection Christ, three different times uh, there. For example, the night of the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples in the upper room. This is recorded in Mark chapter 16. This is the earliest moment that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Okay, and in Mark 16, he tells them to go into all the world and preach the good news. Here's the first thing you and I are called to do. The first thing is we are called to reach the lost. Write that down if you're taking notes. Yes, we did give you some notes coming in. You're smarter with a pen. (laughs) You are. It's true. Statistics prove it. You'll retain seven times more information if you write it down, even if you just threw it away at at the end of the door. Does that make sense? All right. Reach the lost. Reach the lost. The first thing we got to be thinking about, and this is difficult because we're selfish if we're being honest, the first thing we need to be thinking about is always the people who aren't here. In other words, look around this room and find an empty seat. That's what we're called to think about. Who could be there? Who could be growing? What could God do in a family? What could God do in an individual that's buried in depression and despair? We gotta be thinking about the lost. This is probably the only organization that exists on planet Earth that doesn't exist for itself, but actually exists for the person that it doesn't even know yet. That's the church. And a lot of churches, when they turn inward, they miss this. And it's a big issue. And it's also not the only thing we're called to do. Because just before Jesus ascends, I'm sorry, um, in Matthew 28, two weeks later on a mountain in Galilee, you might remember this, in Matthew chapter 28, he adds to go and preach, and he says, now I want you to go and preach the good news and make disciples out of every nation, okay? That's what's typically called the Great Commission, but you'll notice he's walking his disciples through this process. At first thing he's saying, listen, don't you ever forget the people that aren't here. Don't you ever forget who you were when I called you. You were not who you were today. You were fishermen. You spent with me. The Bible says that Jesus, that the the religious leaders would encounter the disciples after Jesus would be resurrected. And they would look at these men and they'd go, you got fish guts on your fingers. Like you got calluses on your hands. How in the world do you know all this? How how in the world are you speaking with authority and power into the culture? And you're, you're so bold. And then they go, oh, that's right. You were with Jesus. You were with Jesus. You were with Jesus. We need to learn to reach the lost, but we also need to build those we reach. It's not just enough, right, to say our prayer. Did you know that when you surrender your life to Christ, by the way, you will repeatedly surrender your life, parts of it to Christ, along your life in your Christian journey. There's gonna come a time where a lot of times we think of our faith as a destination, and ultimately it is a destination. You and I are living a prequel. Jesus wins in the end, and we only lose if we quit, right? And if we don't quit, we can't lose. I mean, that's awesome. It's like guaranteed victory, but we have to do our part. Did you know there's gonna, become, there's gonna come times when you give your life to Christ, if you don't look at your faith as a journey, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna struggle when that pastor or that small group leader says, you know what, you're just being kind of resentful and you need to get over that. And you know what, you went to sleep angry a little too many times. You need to remove that stick and go deal with that issue. Come on, somebody. Too much? It's just true. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, this is a purpose of Christ. 
Because he has things that he wants to do in and through you that require your cooperation. A lot of times we want transformation or we want change without change. (laughs) We're like, God, you do everything. And by the way, when our life doesn't turn out, isn't that a horrible deal? God, you do everything, and when you, do, do, you, do, you don't do what we want, we're going to blame you for it. <laughs> when the truth is, your destiny is in your hands and in his. We need to remember that. We need to know that it's not just to reach the lost, but it's actually to build those we reach. Think about this as a family. Right? You don't just have kids, and then it's done. And if you do, you are a horrible person. You don't just, like, you go through, you, know, you see all these pictures, and I happen to do this. We have several people, you know, in our lives throughout the years, that, you know, that we've gone through their first, and we're, we, we just finished our fourth. We call him C4 no more. We're done. <laughs> you know why? Because we take seriously what it takes to build them. You know, the statistics say it takes $350,000 from, from conception. That's the cheapest part, believe it or not. From conception <laughs> all the way through graduating them from high school, $350,000. What if we looked at that differently as a church when people raised their hand and surrendered their life to Christ and we, and we took that responsibility? Does that make sense? We've got to learn to build those we reach, seeing, the, seeing our faith as a journey. So we see the night of the resurrection. He says, go and preach, reach, reach the lost. Two weeks after, on a mountain in Galilee in Matthew 28, he says it's not just enough to reach the people. It's, you have to actually build them. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, pastor, wait a minute, Acts is, I thought that was the church. You need to understand, Luke wrote Acts. So it's actually a continuation of the gospel of Luke. It used to be called Luke-Acts. And so the beginning of Acts is like the end of Matthew and Mark. Does that make sense? So Matthew, I know some of y'all are blown. really? I didn't even know that. You need to read your Bible more, it's there. <laughs> Anyways, so, so he says, reach, build, but you know what? Don't even take a step without the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going, I'm going to send the battery, the, the life source of everything you're going to do. Don't move and don't try to do it your own strength because you're just going to try to fix people. Only the Holy Spirit brings lasting growth. Don't do it in your own mind because you're going to think something's right for someone that's not. They need the Holy Spirit. The third thing we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is we're to act in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen. This is at the core of a church that sees. Because if we can't see the purpose and keep the main thing the main thing, guess what? We're going to get hijacked by the culture around us. We can never forget that everything that we do as a church is for those who aren't here. That every conversation we have, even the difficult ones we're scared to have, we have because, you know, we got to build each other up. we got to be honest. The Bible says, good, great right, are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes to grow, you have to stretch. And sometimes those stretches and those growing pains, they hurt. The more you can accept that, the better you can move forward. But ultimately, we have to act in the power of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, keep the main thing, the main, t- main thing. Do not forget my purpose. Why is it important that we keep the purpose in front of us? Why is it important that we keep looking at it? I've had so many people tell me, Pastor, you're crazy. Why would you launch a location in the middle of a pandemic? And then do it again a year later before you've even figured out how to do it the first time. Hey, buddy. 
Why? Because of the purpose of the church. It's not to protect what we have. It's to leverage what we have to build God's kingdom. It's to steward. That's what it means. Why is it important? Because you cannot reach what you cannot see. You cannot reach what you cannot see. If we lose sight of the purpose, we're not going to be able to continue to grow as a healthy church. You cannot reach what you cannot see. How many of you guys, if you're honest, you see somebody merging on and they're trying to get ahead of you and you kind of hit the gas a little bit, you act like you don't see them? Yeah, I know you, Texas. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, man, I just want to get over. I'm like three quarters ahead of you, but you just have to speed up. Heaven forbid, I'm one car ahead of you. We act like that sometimes. We do. We act like that. Where we see things, but we don't really choose to see things. You know what I mean? We're like, we see something, and we know what the right thing to do is, but we don't do it. Anybody guilty of that? I know I am. That's part of that build process. It's part of that build process. You know, there's something about seeing that I think is so important in the church. Because in a world where nobody really sees anything, oh, they say a lot, but they don't see anything. They'll tell you what you should do, but they'll take no responsibility for what they should do. By the way, I'm just going to tell you, we have this conversation going on, okay, about rights. About rights. That's my right. That's my right. That's my, do you know you have no right that you don't take responsibility for? Responsibility comes before your right. So if you want to exercise your right, exercise your responsibility first, and you might actually keep some of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need to say something. And sometimes you need to not say something. <laughs> That's why we need to act in the power of the Holy Spirit, not what Pastor Stephen says. Anyways, you know, there's an interesting story in the Bible that's captured about this idea of being focused or seeing the wrong thing. And it's the story of the woman at the well. I mean, you guys have ever read that story? We don't really know her background. She kind of gets a bad rap. I mean, we don't really know what the situation was. I and mean, one of her husbands could have died, one of them could have cheated, she could have cheated, who knows? You know, we don't know. But I don't think that's the point of the story. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Jesus sits down at a well and sends his disciples on a Chick-fil-A run. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he never did anything that didn't have a purpose. Jesus was thirsty. He went to a well. And there he meets a Samaritan woman. She may have been surprised to see him, a man in the middle of the day, at the well. But Jesus was not surprised by her. Because he always had his eyes in the right place. Jewish men at that day didn't even speak to women, certainly not women in their household, outside of their household. Jesus smashes the gender barrier, by the way. Jews didn't even speak to Samaritans. Jesus smashes the racial barrier, by the way. Hey, would you give me some water? Jesus doesn't ask the question that she wanted to know. Hey, where's your husband? <laughs> That's what Jesus says. And at that moment, I believe this woman could have easily lied. Oh, you know, he's on a business trip and bummer, I have to be out here at noon getting water, you know. The other ladies, you know, one of them was trying to hit on him, so I'm kind of staying away from those skanks, you know. Anyways. <laughs> you could have. That's what we do every day. Make excuses. We're not honest and authentic. You know, when, when we're offended, we say we're fine. There's a movie I watched years ago. I can't even remember what it was. Maybe you can. They use an acronym for fine. Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> By the way, when somebody says they're fine, especially if you're married to them, that's what they mean. Just assume it. Just assume it. But here, Jesus, she, she, she's honest. Man, 
how that wouldn't change some of our lives. We're just honest. And she just says, I, I'm not married. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've been married five times and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. And I love what she says. I perceive you to be a prophet. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and then she goes on. It's funny because she deflects like we do. The real pain was something there. She deflects and starts getting all theological. You know, people who get theological. I want to know your doctrine before I want to know who you are. By the way, you can see your doctrine in your life. I have a statement. You can read that on a page. But the people who really get it, you can see it in their life. It's imprinted on their heart. You can just see it. She starts talking theology. Well, the Samaritans say this, and there's this resurrection. There's all this controversy. And Jesus just points back and goes, you know, none of that matters. The water I give you, you'll never have to come here again if you put me first. She goes, tell me about this water. She actually thinks she was talking about real water. Jesus had a way of doing that. Imagine being Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, translating to human. Have you even tried to talk to more than two people? I mean, you ever play telephone? It's very difficult. So some of the things Jesus says, you're just kind of like, okay, I need to process that for 20 years, you know? This Samaritan woman would go to be the loudest voice in the New Testament church for that entire region. Churches would be established because she went and she told everybody that she saw the Messiah. But that's not even what I want to talk about. Because there's a part of this story that I think we miss. It's the disciples when they get back from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> this incredible thing in the kingdom happened. And this is John 4, 27. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked. <laughs> no one asked. What do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples, meanwhile, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing of and some water too if you were here. <laughs> then his disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? Think. <laughs> you know, sometimes as believers who are closest to Jesus, we've been in the church the longest, man, we can just really miss it. Why? Because our eyes aren't where they should be. Jesus never took his eyes off the lost. He never took his eyes off Samaritan women, ever. He never took his eyes off of what was most important. We can become so focused on what we're doing that we miss what he's doing. And if his disciples could miss it, do you think me and you could too? That's why we gotta go back to the purpose. Back to the purpose. John 4, 34. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, I love this. Open your eyes. There's so much opportunity in Belton. Open your eyes. There's so much more I want to do if you can just get them off of yourself. Open your eyes and look. The fields, they are ripe for harvest. Write this down. It's impossible to see others when you're consumed with yourself. It's impossible to see others when you're consumed with yourself. Why do we keep doing it, Pastor? Why do we keep pushing? Why do we keep growing? You know, none of this one day is going to be ours. You ever thought about that? It's all you, it's all you like, you know, empire builders. Nothing you have is going to be yours. And statistics show your kids are going to screw it up in 30 years anyways. And that's like best case scenario. So what do we have? To do the will of the Father. To build something that's eternal, that's more than just places and spaces, but it's people. 
It's impossible to see others when you're consumed with yourself. You know, years ago I heard, I did a bunch of eye checkups and I started kind of studying a little bit. I had really bad headaches when I would read notes and I had a prescription in one eye and I was kind of figuring out what that was about. And, and I, I learned the difference between nearsighted and farsighted people, you know? And um, you, they test it. They can see if you're nearsighted or farsighted. I think sometimes the church over time can become nearsighted. We can see objects up close, but we miss those things further away. The big picture. This is a tendency that you and I constantly have. We have, to, we have to choose to see the right thing. We have to choose it. It's like this. I can see the hair on my arm, the words on this page, but I can't see you. That, that can happen sometimes. It's impossible to see others when you're consumed with yourself. So three characteristics of a church that sees. I'm going to go really fast. I have five minutes. might take a few more. Three characteristics of a church that sees. The first thing is we see our purpose. We covered that first, right? We know the purpose. We reach people, we build people, and we act in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in how we feel. We speak when he tells us to speak. We act when he tells us to act, and it's his work in our life that's actually making it all happen anyways. We reach, we build, and we act in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our purpose. And we've got to remember as believers that that's also where our greatest fulfillment is. You know, I, I watch this a lot. I watch this a lot in our world. Our world is obsessed with vacations and leisure, and yet they come back and people need a vacation from their vacation. They think, if I can just, if I can just do this, if I can just get this part of my, you know what? If you would just seek first Matthew 6.33, the kingdom of God, all of that other stuff you're worrying about, personally, it would take care of itself. I've followed Jesus for 25 years. Can I just tell you, every time I've looked inward, and I've got my, my, my head out of God's purpose in the church, my life has always gone worse. Let me say it this way. Everyone who says, you know, life is just so busy, I'm gonna take a step back from the family of God. It's like somebody saying, I'm in the darkest part of my life. You know what? I'm just gonna handle it alone. To which case I would say, good luck with that. It won't work. Your life won't get better. It'll get worse. We need to train ourselves to step into, not away from God's purpose, especially when our life feels out of whack and feels crazy. Matthew 9, 9, and Jesus was walking along. He saw a man. I love that. He saw him. How many people passed by Matthew and didn't even see him? The brother wrote a book in the New Testament. How many people walked by his booth because he was an old jerk or he cheated him or whatever it was? They just looked right by him. But here it says Jesus saw him sitting there at his tax collector booth, and he said, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, he, the audacity of Matthew to invite this man of God to his sinner house. Think about this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, see, they didn't see Matthew the same way that Jesus did. They just saw sinner. That's what they saw. Jesus didn't see that. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Think about this for just a minute. When you look around the world at the pain, at the conflict, at what's happening, what do you see? That's so important. It'll change your life. Do you see like Jesus or do you see like the Pharisees? Do you see a lot of pain and sickness? And by the way, it comes in all shapes and sizes, all colors and nationalities. God created his church to be a place for people to get help. 
The church is a hospital for the sick, not a hotel for the saints. Write that down. We gotta remember that. And it's easy to forget it when we get our comfy seats. By the way, Liberty Hill seats are not nearly as comfy as y'all's. You know what happens? Y'all are older. You get to sit in the front seat. You get to grow. But you know, at some point, you gotta turn and, right? Right? We gotta remember that. The next thing we've gotta do is we've gotta see his perspective. Matthew 9, 36, another time Jesus saw. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers. We're never gonna have a problem with the harvest. The building part comes with the workers. By the way, this is why we talk about membership here. Maybe you've been coming, you've been consuming, you know, you've been learning and growing. By the way, that's a part. That's a part of your growth, right? You, you gotta receive God's word in environments like this, dig deeper in your faith, be consistent, but at some point, you have to make a decision to be a part of what God's doing. That's why we talk about new members, by the way. That's happening today. Here's what I would tell you. If you're in this room right now, I'll just, I'll just say it. Listen, we will have plenty of food and we will have plenty of childcare available for you. Cancel your plans if you have not come to this event and be there today. I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna lay out what it looks like to actually be a part of God's family. You know, church is more than an hour on Sunday. It's more than a place you go to. It's a spiritual family that you belong to. And for many of you in here, your next step is to put Jesus first. And if you've done that, it's to actually make time to be a part of his plan. So I wanna encourage you, seriously, cancel it. We, we ordered, I'll have them order bunches of other food. They're, they're on the phone right now. Oh, he invited everyone again. Come on, you don't have to register. Come out, come out. We need to see his perspective. The Greek term for compassion is this idea of like, like, at the deepest part of you, like, like when you see something, you just go, oh, that just makes me, right? He saw these people and like the deepest part of him, like in his guts, he just had to do something about it. It's interesting. What do you see when you see crowds? Well, his disciples saw a problem. Jesus saw a harvest. What do you see when you see women at the well where the disciples saw, you know, a woman down on her luck, ostracized by society. Jesus saw one of the greatest evangelists of the New Testament. What do you see when you look at people around you? Well, Jesus and his disciples saw uneducated common men. He saw future world changers. Think about this for a minute. What do you look at when you look at Saul? People saw a persecutor. Jesus saw Paul, the greatest church planner that ever lived. The reason you and I are actually here today enjoying God's word. What do you see when you see the Lazarus in your life? People see a dead man. Jesus sees a resurrection. It's just, I'm telling you, you gotta learn to see different. What do you see when you look at other people? Do you see a victim, an accident, a lost cause, a screw up, a problem? Or do you see a son or daughter of the king, a man or woman of God, a brother or sister in Christ? Your perspective matters, is what I'm getting at. It matters. People walk into our church every weekend, downcast, discouraged, defeated, deflated. You have no idea what a simple conversation, one word of encouragement, an open door, just a smile in today's world will do for someone. You're a part of that. Our perspective, so important. As we close, I believe we see his purpose. We see his perspective. But I think we also need to have his passion. I'm gonna talk a couple minutes about this because I think that a lot of times we see what God's doing in the church as like this add-on to our life and we lose purpose. You know what I tell our staff team? I tell them this all the time and I'll say this to you as well. If you're in here and you're a believer, you should care about the church 
your spiritual family more than Jeff Bezos cares about Amazon. Say that again. You should care about your church, your spiritual family, about the person next to you more than Jeff Bezos cares about Amazon or Elon Musk cares about Tesla. And until your passion's gotten to that, we still have work to do. Does that make sense? And we go back to, well, let's just keep building, right? Let's just keep growing. Let's just get 1% better this week than last week, this year than last year. See, a lot of times we look over the, we look over and we, we see things that we want. We start comparing when the biggest thing that holds us back isn't how we compare to someone else, but how we compare to who we are today to yesterday. That's actually where the win is. And here's what I believe. I believe this. As we embrace God's purpose, right? As we choose regularly, even when we don't feel like it, even the world's telling us, look over here. We say, nope, I'm gonna have his perspective. When I see crowds, I'm not gonna see problems. When I see hurting people, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna see inconveniences, inconveniences, right? When somebody flips me off in the church parking lot, they probably had a bad day. It's totally happened to me before. It's awesome. <laughs> like they probably had a bad day. Maybe their whole faith isn't fake. Maybe they, you just caught them in that one second. Maybe they needed a little compassion, right? But I believe as we carry his passion wherever we are, in our jobs, in these seats, serving others, in our families, I believe he does something so incredible in us that it changes us. Listen to me. The characteristics, the main one of a healthy church is a church that sees Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. I pray right now, Father, for anybody in here that's far from you, I pray, Jesus, that they would surrender their life to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as I've opened up God's word, they've looked at their life, there's this gnawing in them that says, I need to put both feet forward. I need to make a change. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that the way we're made right with God, whether you need to start or restart your relationship with God, is that we have to, of our own free will, confess him as our Lord and Savior. We have to believe that what the Bible says about him is true, that he really did conquer death. The Bible says that upon that belief, he hands us life. And from that moment, we can take steps into, for the first time, or back into a right relationship with God and a thriving faith that results in a life full of purpose. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around for just a minute. Listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. We're not gonna do anything weird. But if you're in here today, you say, pastor, that's me. Today, I'm far from God. I don't wanna be. Maybe you gave your life to Christ in the past, but you just haven't put him first in your life. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You've tried every other thing, but you haven't tried surrender. The Bible says that when we surrender our life to him, he gives it back to us better than we could ever live it on our own. And as heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Again, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if you're in here and you say, Pastor, that's me, would you pray for me? Between me, you, and God, would you just acknowledge that by lifting up your hand halfway and putting it right back down? Is anybody in here you say, that's me? I see you. Put it up and down, I see you. By the way, hands are all over the room. You're just acknowledging, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from what I don't wanna be. I wanna make a change. Is there anyone else you say, Pastor, that's me? I see you. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. I see you. In a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer. We're gonna pray it all together. We're still not gonna embarrass you. It's gonna be a prayer based on Romans chapter 10, verse nine. I wanna encourage you if you're in here and you raise your hand. When we pray this prayer, I want you to allow it to be an expression of why you raised your hand. I believe that even as you repeat my words from this passage, 
the Holy Spirit's gonna meet you where you are. We're also gonna give you some next steps. And I would encourage you on the other side of this decision to continue to take those steps to grow in your faith. Right now, we're gonna say this prayer church. We believe in what they're doing. All of our faith started or restarted this way. And so I wanna encourage you to say this prayer as well just as an encouragement of faith to the person next to you. You may be praying this prayer for the first time or maybe for the first time in a very long time. We believe in what they're doing. Let's say this all together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe that you are God. I believe what the Bible says about you is true. I believe you conquered death when you resurrected from the dead. Today I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Today I surrender my life to you so that you can hand it back to me better than ever. Today, Jesus, I am yours. Teach me, lead me, and guide me. Show me my next step. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, church. Put our hands together.